and I have a personal story to tell. My cousin on Christmas Eve, he had um, a sore throat and he was coughing and we were like, maybe you have strep. And it's Christmas Eve, the doctor's office is closed. The emergency department was, I think, half an hour away from where we were. And if he could have just gone to the pharmacy down the street to get tested, he could have gotten treatment that night. But instead, he had to wait a couple of days to get tested. So it ended up being a bigger problem than if we could have just gone to a pharmacy to test and treat. Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show, where quality measurement leads to better patient outcomes. This show will be your go-to source for all things related to quality improvement and medication use in healthcare. We will hit on trending health topics as they relate to performance measurements and find common ground for payers and practitioners. We will discuss how the Equip platform can help you with your performance goals, and we will also make sure to keep you up to date on pharmacy quality news. Please note that the topics discussed are based on the information available at the date and time of recording. Information or guidelines are updated periodically, and we will always recommend that our listeners research and review any guidelines that are newly published. Buckle up and put your thinking cap on. The Quality Corner Show starts now. Hello, Quality Corner Show listeners. Welcome back to the PQS podcast, where we focus on medication use, quality improvement, and how we can utilize pharmacists to improve patient health outcomes. I'm your host, Nick Dorich, and on this episode, our discussion will focus on pharmacists as public health providers. That's right. If you're a pharmacist, you are also a public health advocate and provider. Public health promotes and protects the health of people in the communities where they live, learn, work, and play. Now, that's the technical definition. My personal definition would prefer that play is ahead of work, but that's a conversation for another day. Now, based on the definition, it should be very evident that pharmacists already play a significant role in promoting public health initiatives actively with the patients and the communities that they serve. In this episode, I've got a couple of future pharmacists that will help share how every pharmacist is a public health provider. Our guests today are Amanda Rocha and Zach Oquendo. Both are students at the University of Rhode Island College of Pharmacy. Amanda and Zach, welcome to the PQS Quality Corner Show, and how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing uh, very well. Thank you for having me on today. I'm excited to be here. I'm also doing well and super excited to be here on your podcast. Excellent. Well, before we begin, I always like to have an introduction for our guests. So, Zach, Amanda, can you each give a quick explanation of why you decided to go to pharmacy school? And then from your perspective, what you would like to do after graduation? Sure. Thank you. So I've always had an interest in medicine, especially especially with chemistry. I've always been curious as to how drugs, how and why drugs work. I always wanted to know, you know, what the really deeper mechanisms mechanisms behind them. I know I wanted to be a medical professional, just not necessarily physician. And so I figured a doctor of pharmacy would be right for me. My sister was diagnosed with diabetes when she was young. So I was exposed to medication when I was growing up. And I was just always fascinated with how it worked and thankful that we had access to it so it could keep her alive. And that's why I wanted to go into pharmacy. And after graduation, I'm planning on going into either community or ambulatory care. Excellent. I always love to hear the story for from students or really any pharmacist, why we went into pharmacy, why we chose this profession. 
more often than not, it's what you both spoke about. It's about wanting to help patients, wanting to help people, um, and just caring about people. So that's always a significant part and something we really never can forget about the pharmacy profession. Now, before we do begin, I do have one other quick item. You are both involved with some other podcast work as part of your uh, current rotations at the University of Rhode Island College of Pharmacy. So can you give a quick description on what is that show and then where our listeners of the PQS Quality Corner Show, where they might be able to find your podcast? Yeah, so we're co-hosts of The Regimen for the next few weeks. Uh, The Regimen is a podcast that includes staying up to date on the latest guidelines and literature, as well as helping patients access effective pain management solutions and creating a good patient-provider relationship. The podcast is now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. And you can find out about new episodes every week at our Twitter and Instagram page at PharmDPubHealth. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and chat, get into our chat about public health and the role of pharmacists in public health. But we're going to be uh, right back after we hear the breakdown. Now it's time for the breakdown. As Quality Corner show host, Nick will ask three main topic questions. Our guests will have a chance to respond, and there will be some discussion to summarize the key points. This process will repeat for the second and third questions which will wrap up the primary content for this recording. After that, expect to end on a closing summary, usually containing a bonus question. Now that we have described the process, let's jump into the questions. All right, Zach and Amanda. So the format for this episode is going to be very familiar to our regular listeners of the Quality Corner Show. We've got our questions. We'll be reviewing different areas where pharmacists are actively used as a provider and advocate for public health initiatives. Let's begin with the topic that is perhaps most timely in my personal passion area around pharmacists as public health providers, and that's gonna be immunizations. So what role do pharmacists play when it comes to improving immunization rates? I think that since pharmacists are usually the first medical health professionals that people will go to, it's important that pharmacists are always ready and willing to discuss immunizations, their benefits, and you know, Uh, how they work with patients, especially if they come to the pharmacy asking questions about uh, more recent disease outbreaks. For example, I work at a community pharmacy and I get questions about COVID vaccines all the time. And I think it's always important that I can have that conversation with patients, answer questions and address their concerns. Yeah, it was actually part of our curriculum that we took an immunization course so we all know how to vaccinate and how to provide patients with the information to make sure that they're up to date with their vaccinations and they have access to them at the pharmacy. Um, And I took an elective course at URI that focused mainly on public health and infectious disease. And we did a lot of projects on the COVID vaccine and how we could get patients to come in to get the vaccine and, you know, kind of fight the misconceptions and concerns that patients had about it. Excellent. Well, Zach and Amanda, I'll have a a quick follow-up question here. And I think particularly because of COVID, the approach to immunizations and conversations about immunizations has had to change uh, somewhat drastically, right? Now, when we talk about pharmacists and when we talk immunizations, everyone goes straight to flu vaccines. And that's a very seasonal approach. But it should be important, right? Because pharmacists should be having conversations with patients year-round about immunizations. There There are other examples where pharmacists in most states can provide immunizations for many other disease states. And uh, most cases, pharmacists are able to bill and provide for those. So do you have some examples of 
you know, the non <laughs> the non flu, non COVID vaccines where pharmacists can be playing a key role in improving immunization rates. All right. So a lot of the patients that come to the places I work are often elderly. And for elderly patients, we want to stress the importance of vaccines such as shingles, because that can be a very serious infection older, uh, later in life, especially if they've never had chickenpox when they were younger. I think that's the most common one I ha end up having conversations about with the patients. Yeah, I also had a patient come in once that was just in passing, he mentioned that he was going to be traveling outside of the country. So I utilized the CDC website and made sure that he had all the vaccines that he needed for that country so that he was up to date on shingles, chicken pox, the Tdap vaccine, hepatitis, rabies if he needed it. Both excellent examples, whether it's age-related indications, right? And Zach, you mentioned older patients, depending on um, state, and I know this is now allowed for most states, but there may be cases where it's younger patients, right? Things like HPV vaccine can have a big impact um, on improving immunizations rate where it's appropriate. And then Amanda, great call out. We've actually done some episodes on this show as it relates to travel health. And a big part there is immunizations for travel health and uh, the role that that plays, especially as the world is starting to open up again. So really key areas where pharmacists can play a role and be proactive. Again, those are not seasonal. That's not just things that you're doing in the fall and winter. Although, Amanda, if it re does relate to travel to uh, <laughs> other countries, people may be looking to get those vaccines more in the winter when they're trying to get away from the cold weather here in the U.S. or parts of the U.S. I'll move us now to our second question or subject matter for the pharmacist role in public health, and let's turn to opioid and substance use. How do pharmacists play a role in public health initiatives and patient safety when it comes to use of opioids or other substances? I think like with vaccinations, opioids are a serious concern for patients and that pharmacists should always be willing to be the first source of information that they might go to. It's also important to make sure you convey the information correctly and meet the patients with understanding, with empathy. Uh, for example, just the other day, we listened in on a uh, video workshop about opioids use and substance use disorders. And I think a quote that really stuck with me from that uh, workshop was from a patient who thought that they were being treated unfairly, who said something to the effect of, it's easier to be an addict if I'm going to be judged anyway. And I think that's the exact wrong kind of attitude that we want our patients to have, which is why we need to be supportive of them. We need to be willing to do everything we can in our power to help them get the, uh, get the treatment they need. For example, like methadone clinics could be expanded. I think that's just something very important to keep in mind. Yeah, I think as pharmacists, we have the expertise to speak with patients about the benefits and the harms of these agents, and we should make it a top priority, whether we're providing answers to their questions initially or just reiterating themes discussed with their prescriber. I think it's important for them to be educated on their health because everyone wins when they have that knowledge and when they know what to expect from their medication. And I also think naloxone is super important. We have protocols in place that allow us to co-prescribe it whenever a patient is prescribed with an opioid and we can prescribe it to their family or friends in case it the need for it ever arises. So, I've heard in some examples and um, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the naloxone part of it here, right? Where for many uh, people, if you're going through different programs, you may be trained in first aid, right? Or you may be um, trained in, in other programs. Um, for basic life-saving skills. And that's been an area as well where we've heard naloxone more frequently or more, more recently rather as something where really anyone that may be working with large groups of people or specific uh, patient sets 
they should be familiar with use of naloxone um, and how to get it right for uh, for patients or um, those that they may be working with. So it absolutely plays a key role for pharmacists to work with this patient population. I'm going to go now to our third topic for today. And this one we're going to cover. And again, this is something where it's perhaps more recent, um, something pharmacists could have been involved with prior, but because of the events of the last couple of years, it certainly has catalyzed activity for pharmacists as it relates to this topic. So that is going to be test and treat programs. This is something that can easily be managed by pharmacists. Obviously, a big part of that is location and proximity for most patients to their local pharmacy, whether it be a community pharmacy, an outpatient setting, hospital, whatever that may be. But what are some examples and what are pharmacists and what are pharmacies doing right now around test and treat programs and what can pharmacists do to play a more active role with these programs? So some of the more common questions I get when it comes to infections. I often get questions about uh, urinary tract infections, UTIs, at my set of practice. And whenever a patient comes in, they always uh, end up asking me about, you know, where do we get tested? Is there a project I can use that will make the symptoms be feel better? Or is it actually going to treat the infection? And I always find myself saying, you can make the symptoms feel a little more tolerable, but you will need to visit your prescriber to see about antibiotic treatment. And I think that uh, a UTI test to treat under a collaborative practice agreement is going to end up going a long way to help. Like we could have patients come in and get a test at the uh, pharmacy. And then under the CPA, the pharmacist could prescribe them the correct antibiotics. This way, this will save the patient a lot of time and effort that they wouldn't need to spend running back and forth between the pharmacy and their physician's office. And while they're at the pharmacy, they can also speak to someone about the differences in antibiotic therapy uh, right then, then and there, so they don't have to worry about getting potentially the wrong coverage for anti uh, for bacterial infections. I feel like the easy answer here would be the COVID nineteen. You can get tested at the pharmacy, so um, why not prescribe the medication to treat it while they're there? In fact, I think Rhode Island just opened up our past uh, test to treat protocol, but. More personal to me, the strep testing, studies have found that using PCR testing for influenza and strep is appropriate to offer to patients at the pharmacy and that we have the ability and capacity to provide the care for the patients seeking those treatments. And I have a personal story to tell. My cousin on Christmas Eve, he had um, a sore throat and he was coughing and we were like, maybe you have strep. And it's Christmas Eve, the doctor's office is closed, the emergency department was, I think, half an hour away from where we were. And if he could have just gone to the pharmacy down the street to get tested, he could have gotten treatment that night. But instead, he had to wait a couple of days to get tested. So it ended up being a bigger problem than if we could have just gone to a pharmacy to test and treat. Yeah, the, we, we often reference with pharmacy, man, I'm going to touch on your point first, and then I'm going to go back to actually a, a point I want to make on Zach's comments. But pharmacy, it's often referenced that Pharmacy is the most accessible, pharmacist is the most accessible healthcare provider. I like to point out the distinction. It's the the pharmacy, the physical location is often the most most available based on proximity, but it also needs to depend on is that pharmacy open and is the pharmacist actually there and is the pharmacist set up with the workflow, with the staffing support and operations to provide those services. So it's a, it's a great item and concept, but we need to make sure that pharmacies are supporting and that payers are paying for these services, right? With COVID-19, that has allowed uh, for some expansion with test and treat services, and that's been a key item. And then Zach, I want to comment on 
uh, or, or go a little bit further onto your points, right? You were talking about testing for some what could be or should be simple disease states or acute infections. And that becomes really a key point, right? Because delaying treatment or again, or preventing that treatment, early access to that treatment, that may lead to a worsening of disease. And it's important for some of these instances, not not just that we're choosing the right medication or the right antibiotic, but you know, is an antibiotic even the appropriate medication to be used? We know as pharmacists, right, for some items where, especially as it relates to respiratory diseases, antibiotics may not be appropriate, right, if it is a viral infection. So appropriate testing here does go a long way. Now, Amanda and Zach, I do want to have one follow-up question for you as it relates to test and treat programs, right? And we gave a couple of examples that are here, but um, what are some, I guess we'll call it techniques, what are some ways or techniques or methods that pharmacists are trained in for doing some of these. Um, we, I think, you know, we referenced already maybe um, some some particular swabs um, or some other uh, testing. But can we go a little bit into what some of those examples may be for specific tests? I know that I'll, I'll sometimes see things like dipstick tests sold at the uh, at the pharmacy in regards to UTIs. I should say uh, the pharmacies also do carry the rapid COVID testing kits. And I think that if testing were to be expanded and treatment were to be expanded, you might be able to, hypothetically speaking, you could have a patient come in, get the test right there, then presents the results to uh, whatever pharmacist is on duty who might then be able to advise them on how best to proceed next. Amanda, anything else you want to add on there? Um, just some of the tests. We could do the nasal swab. We could do a throat swab. That would be the one that you would use for the strep. I think those are the more popular ones that we would be able to use in the pharmacy. Yeah, great and it's definitely easy enough to train the pharmacist how to do that. Yeah, great examples. I think both of you, right? I I, I think you're both students at University of Rhode Island. I I went there at least when I was there. We were doing practice labs on doing many of these items. I even remember one other test I'll throw out there that could be applicable for test and treat, maybe um, related to finger stick tests, right? I, may, I remember doing those as well for some examples where most pharmacists now in the curriculum are going to be trained on it, but there are also pharmacy-based test and treat programs now and certificates that may be applicable for pharmacists. So if it's not something where you have that experience actively, you can go and do the training for it. Um, and that may be, in some cases, that may be requirements either from an employer or with a payer as it relates to these different uh, these different services. Zach, Amanda, really appreciate the discussion here today. And we focused on three areas where pharmacists are public health providers. We could spend a lot more time. There's a lot of other different areas, but we, we chose these three because they're perhaps the most prominent and the areas where really every pharmacist in just about every setting is actively working on these in some way, shape, form, or capacity. But there's a lot of other topics that we could cover. We may come back to that in the future uh, in, uh, in additional episodes to focus on some of the other examples where pharmacists are public health providers. But as both of you spoke through this today, it's very clear, right? This is information, this is experience that pharmacists, they are graduating with that information, that education, that practical training. These are things that you're doing on rotation. So particularly for pharmacists that are graduating, but I would also say that for many of our pharmacists who have been out of school and, and in the real world actively practicing, they're still doing many of these things anyway. So we have an untapped resource of pharmacists in, pharma in pharmacy locations nationwide that can play a more active role, whether it's test and treat programs, whether it's opioid management and uh, naloxone dispensing, and whether it's related to your 
immunizations, not just for COVID and flu, but many of the other uh, examples. So a lot of work that's there. Pharmacists are public health providers. Pharmacists are public health advocates. And uh, that's something where really each and every one of us needs to make sure that our our workflow, our workforce operations are supporting those initiatives so we can play a bigger role with other providers, but also the general public. Now, Zach and Amanda, you're not off the hook yet. We've talked about the role of the pharmacist here, but this is where we get into questions that I like to think are a little bit more fun as I use my quotation marks around fun. We all should be uh, thinking about our own quality improvement, our own quality improvement strategies, and how we track what we're doing so that we know we're progressing the way that we would like to, or so that we're adjusting our goals. I've got three questions here, and I'm actually, because we've got two of you today, uh, I'm going to go one by one. Typically, I read them all three at once and let the guests respond, but I'm going to read each one, um, let you both respond, and we'll go down the list. So, Zach, Amanda, what do you do or how do you track your personal or professional goals? I do my best to take my goals one step at a time. I'll always make notes of important dates and deadlines, and I just keep, I try to keep them in a list of most uh, either most important or of the one that's due soonest, and I just try to manage them in a timely manner that way. And I usually use an agenda, but lately I've been using Google Calendar just to keep track of my to-do list, any meetings that I have. And it's actually because of Dr. Bradberg. He's the one that originally got me hooked to the Google Calendar. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I can tell you, uh, Amanda, big advocate here for myself at whether it's Google or Outlook calendar. And then Zach, your thoughts had me thinking, um, if you're not familiar with it already, what you're describing there, that's the Eisenhower matrix. It's basically what's urgent versus what's important. Um, you've got, and you can basically block things off, right? As to what's, is it, you've got a, a four squares, urgent, not urgent, important, not important. And uh, blocking it out really gives you, it basically creates a hierarchy for you as to what you should do and when you should do it. And ultimately, if there are things that are not urgent and not important, sometimes those are things you just don't need to worry about ever, and you can just drop it. Or sometimes those are things where it's it has to be done, you don't like it, uh, but some things in life you just have to do. Uh, that's where they fall on occasion. Uh, Zach and Amanda, next question for you. Can you each share one goal that you are currently working on? So I've just started my advanced pharmacy rotations for my last year. And while I'm thinking about the future and you know what I might be looking into after graduation, I figured my goal with this is just to cast a broad net over ex different experiences in my rotations, get a feel for a lot of different op uh, possibilities, and then just see what opportunities await me once I graduate, because I'm hoping that in my rotations, I'll be able to latch onto something that I think I can really end up liking doing. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that we had our own podcast um, called The Regimen, but while I'm on my rotation, my goal was really just to build my interprofessional communication by incorporating different healthcare experts as guests based on the topic of the episode that week. So, Excellent. Love to hear both of those. And third question for you both, what's a goal that you haven't yet started this year, but that you would like to get to? Uh, so like I said before, I'm going to be doing a lot of different rotation types. I've heard a lot about residencies and fellowships that are available after graduation. And especially once I get to like my uh, institutional rotation at a hospital setting, I think that's the point where I really want to start asking around, doing as much research as I can into the pros, the cons of doing a residency and seeing whether or not that'd be right for me. And I really want to get the chance to write a professional paper and have it published. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to do that while I'm rotation here. 
Excellent. Well, thank you both for the rundown on your goals in addition to our discussion on public health. Um, really appreciate that. And, and I can say that having been in your shoes now many, many years ago, uh, it's an exciting time. I certainly appreciate both of you taking the approach to learn actively. That's the most important part when you're on rotations is what do you see? Zach, somewhat to your point, what are the pharmacists doing? And is that something you really want to do for your career? It's not about whether or not, well, it's important that you pass your rotation, but it's, it's to me, <laughs> to me, this, it's really more important to see what do you like, what, what do, what are pharmacists doing in their jobs that you really like doing, can see yourself doing at least for maybe this stage of your career or that you would like to do, maybe you'll get to doing that at some stage in your, your career. That becomes the, perhaps the most important part. Now, before we do close, Zach and Amanda, if someone wants to ask you questions on some of the things that we've discussed today, some of your experience with pharmacy and the the, the public health opportunity for pharmacists, um, where can they find you? How can they contact you? So I admit my social media presence is a bit limited, but I am still available by, by email. You can just send an email to ZWOquendo, that's O-Q-U-E-N-D-O at gmail.com. Yeah, my social media presence is also lacking. So you could just email me at Amanda underscore Rocha. That's R-O-C-H-A at URI.edu. All right. And then one last thing. Well, your personal social media may be lacking, and that's okay. No, no problems with that. Where can our listeners, where can they find the regimen? Can you give us a rundown of where to find that again before we close? Once again, the regimen is starting its fourth season with us as the co-hosts. Uh, new episodes will be coming out every week, available on Apple, on Spotify, on Amazon Music, and on Google. Uh, and at our shared Twitter and Instagram page, at PharmD Public Health, we'll also be releasing announcements about new episodes and our guests for the upcoming episodes. Excellent. Well, Amanda, Zach, thank you both very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure for me to uh, have you on the show, and not just because you're URI students where I was again once in, in your shoes, but it is a nice treat for me to work with some current URI students and I wish you the best as you finish your rotations and I wish you the best as you join the profession um, of pharmacy and, and join myself and other wonderful colleagues as pharmacists. So I uh, really appreciate your work, really appreciate your efforts. And uh, now for our listening audience, we have reached the conclusion of today's episode and we thank you for joining us today. And we hope you listen to our next episode of the Quality Corner Show. We'll be back with an episode for you next week. And until then, we have one final message from the PQS team. The Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show has a request for you. Our goal is to spread the word about how quality measurement can help improve health outcomes. And we need your help in sharing this podcast to friends and colleagues in the healthcare industry. We also want you to provide feedback, ask us questions, and suggest health topics you'd like to see covered. If you are a health expert and you want to contribute to the show or even talk on the show, please contact us. You can email info at pharmacyquality.com. Let us know what is on your mind, what we can address so that you are fully informed. We want you to be able to provide the best care for your patients and members And we wish all of you listeners out there well.